Jesus, we need you. Lord, we need you to open your word to our hearts. Lord, we are stubborn, stiff-necked sometimes, and we need you to open your word to our hearts so that we can hear what you have to say. We are neglectful. We don't go to God's word when we need to, but we turn instead to the various things that we cling to that make us feel good. But Lord, I pray that tonight you would open your word to us so that we would know you better, so that we would see Jesus as beautiful, so that we would see you as the great God who loves us and will never leave us nor forsake us. God, we need you tonight. Meet us here. In Jesus' name, amen. If the Bible is boring, you are reading it wrong. Famous quote from our very own youth pastor who likes to have famous quotes. In fact, all four of us on staff like to have famous quotes. I'll tell you some of Michelle Winger's, but you have to buy me a blueberry. No, not blueberry. Huckleberry. Huckleberry ice cream, yeah. Uh, it is no secret that those of us here on staff believe that God's Word is God's Word. We believe that the Bible is God communicating to us. As evidence of this, last week, Pastor Benji began a series on 1 King, and last week, I began a series on Philippians. Why? Because we believe that getting into God's Word is how you become the man or woman of God that He created you to be. And that deep in your heart, you really want to be. Especially, as I assume most people in this room are Bible-believing, Christ-honoring Christians. We need to have the Word of God. And the sermon this morning will do nothing but add to the mountain of evidence of this opinion that we have as a staff here on the importance of God's Word. I'll state it another way. Scripture understanding, as opposed to merely allowing your eyes to glance over the words on the pages of the Bible, Scripture understanding and Scripture memory are the two absolute most important disciplines for the believer to engage in. Every single other discipline, prayer, evangelism, making disciple, making disciples, service, and other forms of worship are augmented or even made possible at all by God's people going to God's Word. This Bible is the Word of God. The Bible you have is the Word of God. And you and I need to constantly be putting our hearts into it so God will be putting His heart into us. Now, most here know that Pastor Benji, James, and I are convinced that the English Standard Version is the best version to preach and teach from. We believe that it's the best current balance between translation of what the original text said and readability so that we can understand it in our own 
language. But, as some of you also know, my favorite translation that I have, if I just want to sit down and read my Bible, by the way, just sitting down and reading your Bible is a good thing. You don't have to always only be studying it. If I just want to sit down and read my Bible just to read it, my favorite version is the New Living Translation. Michelle Winger was gracious enough to remind me of that week, and so I thought to myself, I want to go read Philippians in uh, the new NLT. And so what I want to do right now is contrary to what I normally do, and I won't do it every week, but I want to read to you our passage from the New Living Translation. We're going to Philippians chapter 1, 1 through 8. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. That's all y'all. Did you get that? I hope you did. I make my request for all y'all with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work in you, will continue His work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So, it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God. Because both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. So as we start our study through the book of Philippians, as we go passage by passage by passage, remember that one of the things we are looking for are the five big themes that I mentioned last week. I gave them to you, if you remember, in one sentence. Because Jesus is Lord... Rejoice, pressing on or striving forward with one mind together as you face struggles and opposition while sharing the good news. Now, if you missed that, go back and listen on our website to last week's sermon and you'll pick these up. But I will be bringing them up as we go through the book. But I also wanted to make the whole thing simpler by giving you one short sentence so that you can remember as you think about Paul's short but mighty letter. Jesus is Lord. Press on with one mind, rejoicing in the good news. Now in terms of our key themes that we'll find tonight in our passage, we will find joy. Paul loves to rejoice in the Philippians and in the good news. We'll also find uh, calls to unity and partnership and this idea of being one with one another. But then, of course, as I said last week, the biggest, grandest, most overarching theme throughout the book of Philippians is the Lordship of Jesus. Jesus is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. He is President of Presidents. And there is no way of getting around that. 
So obviously this week we add a key theme and that's going to be probably our most important one tonight and that is of prayer and the confidence that Paul has in his Lord to whom Paul prays. So this week and next time as we actually get to his actual prayer in 9 through 11, we're going to see that Paul is rejoicing and he is loving and he is just so excited about prayer and praying to his almighty Lord for the Philippians. So our big idea tonight is rejoice with your partners in Christ. So let's go to our passage. Now we are going to be solidly in the ESV. So let's turn to Philippians 1.1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe that this is the Word of God, I want to give you a small piece of advice. Never skip the first couple of verses in Paul's letters. They are chock full of grace and life. Paul meets us right away. He's not interested in little ditties or little pretty sayings. He doesn't do that. Paul gets right in to the heart. And what we see right at the beginning is Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Paul considers him first, himself first and foremost a servant. Not an apostle. Not a Jew. Not anything else. His first and foremost concern is to say, I'm a servant of Jesus. And what I notice, especially as I read more and more from Paul, is he's stoked about it. Woo! I get to be a servant of Jesus. I, I, I kind of get the idea he can't think of a better thing to be than to be a servant of Jesus. He is perfectly okay with saying, Jesus is Lord. Not Caesar, not a political agenda, not any president, not anybody else, but Jesus. But furthermore, what we see here is we remember that the greatness of a messenger or servant is largely dependent on the greatest greatness of the one who is sending. Because frankly, I mean, let's be honest with each other, folks. In yourself... You're not very impressive. I mean, neither am I. I mean, who are we kidding, right? But in Christ, you are the spokesman of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If you are in Christ, if you trust His promises for you in Christ, then you need to remember you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body because you are His spokesman. You are His servant. You represent the Lord of all. And frankly, that should make you happy. And it should make you humble at the same time. 
so should this next powerful truth. We should be happy and humble because of what we learn in these verses. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Now, we have to get one thing straight, first of all. Christians, those of us who have surrendered to Christ, remain sinners. We are sinners, and because we're sinners, while we live in this flesh, we will continue to sin. And because we sin, we should grieve the fact that we sin. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. He's talking to us. And... At the same time that we are sinners, we are already sanctified. Now, now hang with me here. This is an important truth to get. God promises so to work in our lives that He will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. We're going to get to that verse in just a few minutes. But God is at work in us So sure is the fact that he is working in us and that he promises to bring it to completion that Paul and other New Testament writers can speak of it as if it is already accomplished. Like when he was speaking to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. Notice this whole verse. There's several things in here that I'd love to start preaching on, but I'll forego it. Paul says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. There's a whole sermon right there. Which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance. There's another whole sermon right there. Among all those who are sanctified. Who's he talking about? He's talking about men and women just like you and me. Who are in Christ and are already sanctified. Now, okay, This needs a little bit of unpacking. We need to take some theological jargon apart. There's two key concepts going on. One is alluded and one is spoken. Justification is the initial work that is done completely by God and that imputes to us righteousness. Okay, hang in here. Based upon nothing that we do or don't do, God declares or He speaks righteousness into our account. That's what impute means. Just like He he said, let there be light, there's light. Now He says, let there be righteousness in Greg's account and there is righteousness. That is what this idea of justification is. He does it completely by Himself apart from anything we do or don't do. And this is why Because He has done this, at the moment we are saved, we are ready for glory. So Jesus could say to the thief on the cross, today, this day, you will be with me in paradise. But now sanctification is not the same thing as justification. They are related, but they are not the same. Sanctification, as we experience it, is this growth that we have in Christ-likeness that we that we have as we participate with God. So God is at work, and because He is at work in us, therefore, we can work and we can become more and more like Jesus. And in every letter of Paul's, 
we find him beginning his letter by emphasizing that those who trust God's promises are already saints. We are already holy ones. We are already those on whom the process of sanctification has begun. And because that promise is so staggeringly great, Paul speaks of it as if it has already happened. Now, okay, some of you are thinking, okay, Greg, get past the theology, get into real life. Well, theology is real life. And I need you guys to, you guys actually are already there. That's why you're here tonight. But this should encourage you for two reasons. This idea that God's promise is so secure that he says, I will bring this to completion in you is so secure that Paul speaks of it as if it has already happened. That should encourage you for two things. The first reason it should encourage you is Christ will accomplish what he started. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord of all. He is Lord of our salvation and he is Lord of our sanctification. But the second reason that it should encourage you is that you, we, will also finish this project. Anybody have any projects at home that have been sitting there for years and years and not done? Don't ask my wife about that, please. You will finish this project. Why? For it is God who is at work in you to will and to act according to His good purposes. And that is why we should be encouraged. Rejoice! God is at work. So you know what you can do? You could take your fears, you can chuck them behind you. You can take your bitterness, you could throw it away. You could take all of that baggage that's weighing down on you and just say, you know what? God is for me. Who could be against me? And go and move forward. As I have said many times from this pulpit, Christianity is simple. It's not easy. But we should take courage from this. And we should take courage because of verse 2. Paul prays grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, don't miss what's going on here. This is a prayer. Paul says a prayer of blessing, a benediction we have come to call it in the church. But don't miss what's going on. Paul is confident I am praying for you and I am confident that God is going to answer it. Grace and peace will come to the Philippians and to the Santa Marians because Paul and those who follow Christ following Paul, Paul, of Christ, Paul following Christ, speak these words and we go to the throne of grace and say, Lord, hear us and grant this grace and peace. Notice, by the way, and I'll mention this next time we come to this. This, is a, this prayer is a request of a person. You're going to the person, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're asking a request. Now he says he will fulfill it so you can confidently pray. But it's not magic. In other words, don't just pray these words and think, oh, because I said these words, God has to answer my prayer. No, 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 no. 
Remember, prayer is part of a relationship. I will get back to that as we get into Paul's prayer next time. But you must know and understand and trust this. When you bless in the name of the Lord, according to what He has given you in His Word, those blessings will not go unheard. God will answer. God will bless. But notice two more things in this part of the verse. Paul prays in the name of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does he do that? Well, one reason might be that when Paul says God the Father, a father, a good father, is one who cares. And because he cares, he knows what is going on. He knows what is needed. And he is willing to act on behalf of his children, right? And so he invokes the name of God the Father because he wants you to understand that when you're praying, God is not sitting back there going, okay, I guess. But if that kid messes up again, I'm not giving it to him. And that's what I believed for many years growing up. But he also invokes the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, Jesus, has the authority to answer these prayers. So we come to our Abba, Father, Jesus tells us, please, Baba, can I have this? Will you bless my friends with this? But we are also going to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so we must remember that He has the authority, not us. It's not us twisting His arm to give us these blessings. It's still a request. It's still, Abba, will you bless my friends, my near ones, the ones whom I love? And you are humble in that. Recognizing that God can say yes, God can say no, and God can say wait. But then Paul asked not only that God would hear him, but he has a very specific prayer request. And he asked for grace and peace. So what is grace? Grace, we need to remember, is power. First and foremost, grace is power. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 9.8. God is able to make all grace abound to you. Okay, great. What's going on? What, what is this grace doing? It's giving the all-sufficiency in all things at all times so that you may abound in all works. Grace is God's power at work in you and through you and for you to accomplish kingdom purposes. Now, why do I emphasize this? Because if we simply say, well, grace is unmerited favor. That is true. I'm not denying that in the least. We can't earn God's grace. But what's unmerited favor? What is it? Well, it's God's power at work in you and through you and for you to accomplish kingdom purposes. But then, it's also something you can grow in. Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And prayer is the exercise that develops the muscle of grace operating in your life. 
You can pray that God the Father will enable you to grow in this power. You can pray that God the Father will enable your children, your friends, your near ones to grow in this power. That is exactly what Paul is doing here. He's convinced, as we see in the rest of the letter, the Philippians already know this grace. They already know this power. But he wants them to experience it more. And because God wants it to happen, He will superintend it happening. But Paul also asks for peace from the Lord. We're going to get to this, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, where Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Listen, Paul makes this prayer expectant that the reader will receive this gift of grace because God answers his people's prayer. Again, there's so much here to unpack and we will get there. But remember here, when you get right off the starting line here in Philippians, Paul is already speaking words of grace so that we can be the men and women of God that he wants us to be. So much more there. Let's continue in verse 3 to 5. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Notice in these verses the joy, the love, that Paul has for these Philippians. And why? Because of their partnership in the good news. So, of course, that begs the question, how did the Philippians partner with Paul? Well, firstly, they believed the good news when it was preached to them. Certainly, also, their partnership included financially supporting Paul's work. That is, after all, the occasion of this letter. But I believe that Paul would have counted it most important, at least right at this moment, would have counted their partnership in him, especially the fact that they gave sacrificial service. They sacrificed their time, their talent, and their treasure. They sacrificed their comfort so that Paul would experience God's grace from them. Exactly what he says. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Epaphroditus got put this gift together from the church, and then he traveled however many miles, and it appears to have been a long walk that he did to take this money to Paul. And so, what does Paul do? gets the money, praise Jesus. Now, I'm sure he thanked Paphroditus too. I mean, but what does he do in the letter? Praise Jesus. Thank God for this. You gave me money, I'm thanking God. Why? Why is because Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus put it in the Philippians' heart to get the money together. Jesus put it in Epaphroditus' heart to get off his, out of his house and walk all the way probably to Rome to give us 
this money to Paul. Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is Lord of everything. So Paul is thankful to God. Now, you guys, many of you in here have heard me say things like, thank you, Chet, and praise Jesus. Or thank you, Dino and Debbie, and praise Jesus. Because there is both needed. But we need to remember that it is Christ. It is Jesus who is Lord who works in us and through us and for us. So we keep this proper attitude. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for working through my brothers and sisters for me. And we also see in these few short verses that while Paul is full of thanksgiving, he can't get away from joy. He's so happy. In fact, one thing that we often neglect, often forget, is joy or rejoicing or just being happy is one way, one very important way of telling the people around us that we know Jesus is Lord. I just drove eight hours yesterday, drove to L.A. and back. And I confess there were times yesterday that I was less than joyful about the traffic. Yes, it is still a struggle of mine after all these years. But I'll tell you what, there were several times, and I praise Jesus for this, there were several times I was able to catch myself and say, thank you, Jesus. You were Lord even over this um, person in front of me. <laughs> this little girl was driving with her mama, and she said to her mama, Mama, why are there so many more idiots when dad is driving than when you're driving? <laughs> that has no autobiographical instance. Joy is the flag. It is the way of waving our identity, of saying we belong to the army of Jesus. We are telling those who are outside of us that we belong to Jesus and we are confident in His Lordship and therefore if someone cuts me off or someone mistreats me or someone isn't nice to me, I can brush it off and keep moving forward rejoicing. But there, are, there is something very specific that Paul is rejoicing here and we see that in verse 5. Because of your partnership in the Gospel from the first day until now. Now when I was thinking about this, I, I really praise Jesus because I thought of many of you right here. Many of you in this room and in our church and in the other three churches that my wife and I have been a part of just rejoicing. Wow! God showed me through this person this aspect of my walk with Christ. I am able to remember prayer because of one man that I knew 20 years ago. And I could think of that. I can pray because he prayed. And I, could, I can love my wife because of what I see some of you in this room doing. We need to rejoice in that. We need to be thankful for that. 
When you consider your brothers and sisters in Christ, think about how Christ is working in them so that you can rejoice and say, praise Jesus, I want to be more like Him. I want to be more like her. This is a good exercise. This is a good discipline to have. Do it now so that you can live the rest of your life honoring this person. Yes, true. Thanking them for their example, but praising Jesus at the same time because He is working this grace, this power to accomplish kingdom purposes in you. And when you're doing that, you will be rejoicing in your partners, with your partners in Christ. But here's the key verse in this passage, Philippians 1.6. Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. My friends, I say all the time, trust in the promises of God for you in Christ. And one of the things I want you to be thinking when I say that is, okay, what promise? Well, here's one. Here's a promise. This is a promise you can hang your hat on. Jesus began a good work in you and He's going to bring it to completion. It's going to happen. Amen. And I love this. Paul says, I am sure of this. The NLT says, I am certain, certain of this. One of the things I love about my life, God is so gracious to me, my sons are now of the age where they teach me things. I love that. I love that they know things that are valuable. I mean, we're talking about more than just movies and stuff like that. But they know things. They have experience with things and they are able to teach me this. And I understand the importance of, man, knowledge. And because of their experience in their school, they knowledge they have learned is the right ordering of the facts of this world. And wisdom, like knowledge, is the proper use of those facts so that we have a successful pilgrimage through the veil of tears that we are on right now. And Paul, likewise, has this kind of knowledge from experience, experience of God and experience in this world. And what he is expressing here is that God is going to come through on this. Seek to know that God. Seek to know Him among each other as we were just talking about a moment ago. Seek to know Him through His Word. Because as you do as you gain this real experiential knowledge of God from His Word and from those who love Him, you will know Him better and therefore you will necessarily love Him more. You will see that He is faithful. You will see that He is good. You will see that He is worthy of your prayer. You will love Him more. And you will trust Him more. Why? Because you will see He doesn't fail. He who began a good work in you will bring it to the day, will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And that's what he knows. Paul was so confident, not in his world class education with Gamaliel, that wasn't what gave him confidence. 
It wasn't his good looks or his manly lack of hair. It was a knowledge that God's promises are better than gold in the bank. God's promises are better than gold in the bank because more than just a mortgage payment due, there is a day when everything will be due. And you will want considerable resources for that day. Resources you can only get by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, your Lord. That day of Jesus Christ. Paul's gratitude towards God and his confidence in Jesus have an end point. There is a goal to which he is looking. He is is seeing not just the problems that are around him right now, but he's seeing past those problems and recognizing there is an end. There is a point at which Jesus is going to return and all of this veil of tears will be gone. Amen? Amen. Paul directly speaks of this day three times in this letter and he alludes to it once. We will come back to this point. Because of this, because this day is coming, you can rejoice with those of you, those around you who partner with you with Christ. But these believers in Philippi are beloved by Paul. And I want you to hear these verses ringing as you read the rest of Philippians over the next couple of months. He's talking about his joy, his love for them. And he says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul is just so in love and in joy with these Philippians. It makes me ask a question. Were these Philippians better people than us? I mean, were they, were they really, really nice to him? Were they really good? Did they smell better? They were normal people just like you and me. They had their stinkinesses too. They had their little problems and idiosyncrasies. But Paul was able to see past that. Paul was able to see past it and look not only into their heart, but into the heart of his Lord who put his heart in them. And even though there's going to be distinctions, there's going to be differences, there's going to be disputes, and there's going to be problems, Paul loves them. Paul loves them because they are with him. I have another question. Are there any... Christians, I mean, we're talking Bible-believing, Christ-honoring people that you know that you would just as soon not see until you get to heaven. Hmm. <laughs> I think by the giggles going around. We all know people like that, don't we? Well, let me tell you a secret. When you see them in heaven, whatever differences you have down here, guess what? You're going to laugh about them. You and that person are going to laugh at each other and at yourselves and at everybody else because they're poof. Very unimportant. So rejoice. Rejoice that that person is going to be with you one day and you're just going to be 
very excited. And have that joy infect your life now. Just like Paul. Now he's going to get to it in a few chapters and he's going to talk about how this person and that person aren't getting along. Okay, well, that's great. But I'm still just so happy you are my family. I'm just so happy that I get to walk these few years with you guys and this church and the other Bible-believing, Christ-honoring Christians I know in this town who are doing the work of the Lord. Listen. Rejoice with those who are your partners in Christ. Rejoice with those who love Jesus. Ah, they stink. Yeah, they, they have their little quirks about them. But this is a letter about looking first and foremost to your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and rejoicing in what He is doing and He has promised to do. Bring that work to completion on the day of Christ. This week, find someone and just say, I'm so glad I get to rejoice in Christ with you. That, my friends, would be a great application of this passage. Lord Almighty, we need it. Because unfortunately, we can laugh about it, but there are Christians that we would just as soon not see until we get to glory. Lord, help us. Get us past that. We don't need that. We need you. We need to love you. We need to experience your love for us. We need to experience your love for them. And we need to bring glory to you by loving them. Let us rejoice this week. Let us rejoice with those who are near us so that others around us, Christian and not Christian, will know that we are Christian by our love and by our joy in you. God bless us so that we will be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.